Hey friends, this is Jeff. At the beginning of the pandemic, TJ and I had been recording together for about two years, and our first time away from one another, we had to figure out something new to say, and we decided to do a deep dive in one of our favorite movies. Uh, the Jurassic Park series is coming to a close this summer. We thought it'd be fun to repost uh, some of the material that we did on the Jurassic Park just to get us in the mood. We've done lots of deep dives into pop culture, from the Marvel Universe to Star Wars to our villain series. You can see all of that stuff on our Patreon page if you're interested in more. But for now, we're going to jump into some dinosaurs. I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to ram. I'm letting go lonely, letting go strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher, pastor, and writer in Greeley, Colorado. And with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. Hey. Timing off there because we in different locations. It's true. Yeah. In fact, I haven't seen your face for a while. I know, what, what, seriously. What what you been up to? Oh, you know, uh, I shaved my beard, so uh, got no beard. Might notice that. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> weird, um, just because nobody would see my face for a while. Thought it was time. Uh, also, hanging out with my brand new daughter. Brand new daughter. Brand new daughter. So she's uh just over a month old. Uh, cute as the Dickens, and yeah, she cries and poops and sleeps, and that's about it. But she's awesome. So and and her name is her name is Fiona. Does Fiona have a middle name? I don't think I know this. Yeah, Fiona Ann. What's your favorite thing aside from Fiona Ann's beautiful face? I feel weird saying this out loud, but like, there's not really anything to like yet because <laughs> <laughs> you know she's just an eat, sleep, and poop machine. Um, but uh, her smile's pretty cute, and uh, like she lifts her head up, and like she's got red hair. So not like like carrot, not carrot red, but like my kind of red. So that's pretty nice. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, so you you hanging with Fiona? Yep. Got some extra time probably to hang around the house and watch some movies. That's true. Yeah, especially because like all we can do is hold the baby right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> So today, we are going to try something new with our pop culture deep dives. We're going to look at classic cinematic ensemble pieces that, uh, that all of us love. Uh, we're going to analyze some characters, discuss the conflicts, the motives, the triumphs, and what they tell us about the Enneagram. If you were to watch any actor talk about their craft, they always begin with motivations. What am I thinking in this scene? What propels the action? Uh, motive. Four characters is everything, and so too the Enneagram. How do you think about the Enneagram and motive? Yeah, well, I, that's that's what the Enneagram is about, so it really helps me dive into characters a little easier with watching watching films, watching television, and it also like means that when motive isn't clear, it's harder for me to 
get invested in characters uh, because like like when we talk about the Enneagram, we are talking about people's motivation. We're not talking about behavior. We're talking about motivation. Movies, the whole point of what they're trying to do is portray their motivation through action, through facial expression, through decisions, through, through dialogue. So like being able to see and inspect motive in that way is a lot more interesting than it ever was before. Mm. I like it. So we're, we're going to jump into movies because we love movies and we're going to jump into the Enneagram because we love the Enneagram. Perfect. We're going to just talk through the movements of some movies. And so we, as you probably saw from the title, are going to start with the Jurassic Park. Yes. Uh, first movie to make a billion dollars. Oh, really? Held the top spot as most successful, uh, financially successful film until it was displaced by, do you know this? Uh, I'm going to guess Avatar. Titanic. Uh, yeah. Another James Cameron. The one before <laughs> that. Yeah. Silly. Uh, Jurassic Park make, made a billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, Titanic made $2 billion. Sure. <laughs> it's like Perfect. doubled it. Yep. yep. So do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Honestly, I don't because I was too young. Really? How old were you in 1993? 1993, I was eight. Come on, baby. Yeah, I was eight. <laughs> so I was probably like eight to 10 when I saw it. And there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life. So I do mm-hmm. not remember a lot about that time period. But uh-huh. I do remember this being a staple of my childhood. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any Jurassic Park memories? Nothing specific. Just, just always been there. Been in my consciousness. It's always been there. Yeah. A lot of those classic 90s movies, it's, it's, it's just there. That sounds like how I uh, think of Star Wars. It's just always was there. Sure. I remember seeing Jurassic Park the first time. Somewhere in 93, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, we stayed with my family there for a month, and we were driving around to all the places, to the beach, to Disneyland or whatever, and the radio was a buzz about this movie. That's sure. all they were talking about. Like the music would, they would be playing rock charts and then the DJ would come on and, and about Jurassic Park, you know? Sure. And yeah. it, it was just, I can't remember a movie that had more buzz around it than this. And that includes like recent Star Wars and all the rest. Mm-hmm. That was, was the year before my senior year in high school. So I forget that you're that much older than me. 76, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But this had it's it's got the mojo. Um, it was spectacle. It was going to be this horror film, and the mm-hmm. everybody knew at the time. You know, it's like Spielberg is going back to that kind of Jaws thing, where it's going to be a summer horror movie. You got you got a favorite horror movie? Kind of. I I don't really like horror films a lot. I I'm I'm not that interested in being scared as a as a general rule, but. Uh, I watched Night of the Living Dead when I was too young to experience it. Uh. <laughs> and one of the only things, and honestly, it's been so long since I've seen it that I, I could be talking about one of the sequels right now, but one, one of my favorite, like one of the only things that really salvaged it for me was um, there's there's a zombie that has, that it, his legs have been cut off. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's a moment where like he's bent over someone eating a person and then he starts running after one of the other characters and he's uh-huh. like running on his little little nubs and I burst into laughter and all of a sudden the movie became <laughs> very entertaining to me. 
That sounds terrifying to me. It was hilarious. It was like, it completely took me out of the like suspension of disbelief. And it was just, it was the perfect moment for me to experience and enjoy that film. It's good. I'm a big Jaws fan. And I also like me some, I'm a huge Silence of the Lambs fan. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) That just, that pushes all my terrified buttons. That's good. Okay, so before we get going, we are doing this pop culture deep dive slightly different. TJ and I have already gone our separate ways, actually our united ways this time, and talked about the types. So we're going to talk through Jurassic Park, through the flow of the movie, because we actually did a deep dive discussion about the types of all the characters. Right. Anything else before we get going? No, I don't think so. I think we're ready to sort of jump in. Yeah. Cue the music. So, we we begin with A Jungle at Night, and we know this movie is about dinosaurs, and we see rustling in the bushes, but in comes a truck, and it's moving something heavy, and you don't get to see the monster. But you do get to see men with hard hats and guns, and one of them is in charge, and he looks like the hero. But everyone's nervous. There's a big crate that's moved into place. And then this character, Robert Muldoon, starts talking and giving directions. And you and I typed Mr. Muldoon as a six. Yeah. Going to be a voice of caution Yep. throughout these movies. Quite loyal. Uh, any initial word on this on this character on Enneagram Six is. Well, I think that we see him showing up. Like in this initial scene, we see him showing up in this. Like he is the guy who's who's in charge of keeping everyone safe, and like like that's his role right from the get-go yep. being prepared for anything that might go wrong like that's that's his job you can tell that right out of the gate and this happens that that uh motivation comes into play immediately because he's right. he's getting people in the right spots and then something goes bad right the crow the crate jerks a gatekeeper is sucked in he's the one yelling shoot her shoot her right as the man dies in his arms as it were right solid Scary scene. That's great. Such a good opening. Identical to Jaws. You don't get to see the the shark in the first scene of Jaws. You just get to see the victim pulled into the water or pulled into the the cage. Yeah. And then we're going. Some terrifying monster just ate a person. (laughs) It's it's terrifying. It's great. Movie cuts to a lake and there's a man being pulled across the water. Um, he's in a suit and tie in the middle of a jungle looking slightly out of place. He looks exactly like a lawyer. <laughs> and this is the lawyer. It's perfect. Donald Gennaro, who we typed as an Enneagram 3. Yep. I think the suit gives it away in the jungle. Care, right. care about how you're looking? Yeah. The image you're going to put forth? Well, We'll, t- we'll talk more about why he's a three, but, but <laughs> yeah. I, I rewatched it after we did the typing. I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. Uh-huh. Sure. So he's talking to uh, the leader of a dig and uh, there ton of exposition here um, yep. because the, the, the diggers uh, talking about this guy named uh, Haymond and he sends his apologies. And the lawyer says, 
Um, we are facing a $20 million lawsuit from the family of that injured worker and, and Hammond, who apparently is the owner of uh, where, whatever this operation is, couldn't even come. And it's setting up these, these future characters. But Gennaro, uh, the lawyer character, is very interested in the park, in the safety concerns, in investors. And uh, they go down into a cave. Gennaro says this. The underwriters feel that the accident has raised some very serious safety questions about the park. That makes the investors very, very anxious. I had a promise to conduct a very thorough on-site inspection. And then the digger says this. It's so great. He says, Alan hates inspections. They slow everything down. Got some character development. We'll talk about these characters in a minute. Sure. Gennaro yeah. says, if they pull the funding, things will really get shut down. Cut to them going into a cave. If two experts sign up on the island, the insurance guys will back off. I've already got Ian Malcolm, but they think he's too trendy. They want Alan Grant. Grant? <laughs> You'll never get him out of Montana. Why not? Because Grant's like me. He's a digger. And he stares at this mosquito trapped in amber. Que lindo eres. And this scene is just setting out, here's the problem. Here's how we're going to get all these different characters in the same place. And we're rolling. Right. Any thoughts on on the introduction of this Enneagram 3? Well, I think it's um, it, it's an interesting way to set up someone who seems like he cares about the safety of the park, but what he really cares about is the investors. Ooh! Which means that what he really cares about is the appearance of the park. Yes. If he really cared about safety, he would be bringing in safety people. Like, like that, like the way that he's presenting this is like, like he's, he's a, he's a lawyer. I, I miss that. That's good. He would bring in safety people. He's yeah. brought in Ian Malcolm, who we'll meet later. Right. And it, there's a lot of splash. There's a lot of, there's, there's a rock star quality to this, this character. Right. And what kind of expert is he? Yeah. The lawyer cares about the image. And so I'm right. going to, I'm going to put forth the rock star to, to kind of, give the pitch yeah and and like it his line if two experts sign off then the insurance guys will back off and it's like like if he cared about safety he wouldn't be trying to get the insurance guys to back off he would be trying to get <laughs> the insurance guys to feel like it was safe Ooh, it doesn't matter if it's safe it just just needs to look good it, it matters if it appears that it looks safe yep uh come on Cut to a dig in Montana. There's an Indiana Jones looking guy who is messing with a computer and says, I hate computers. His Can I just make a quick note about yeah. the Indiana Jones looking guy? Doesn't yeah. the guy and the other guy in the first scene, doesn't he look an <laughs> awful lot like the guy from Raiders? I think there is a Indiana Jones tug of war going on between sure. Dr. Grant and uh, Robert Muldoon. Okay, that's fair. I'll take that. I don't why they did the two hats they they decided his there's one that's more the aussie hat with one flap up uh-huh. on uh-huh. the side and then uh and then you have the montana hat i think that's how they tried to get around that sure i get two that. very different personalities though right so they <laughs> so they start walking down a hill indiana jones guy touches uh the woman's butts showing that they're lovers and this is dr alan grant and dr ellie sadler uh one laura dern and sam neal Grant comes down to see a radar image of fossils that they're seeking, and they have him 
doing his job in front of you so that you get to understand who this guy is. Right. Big long scene here about him yeah. talking about dinosaurs. Right. And look at the half moon shaped bones on the wrist. It's no one of these guys learn how to fly. The, the group laughs. Maybe dinosaurs have more in common uh, than we think with present day birds. Look at the pubic bone, look at the vertebrae, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then this kid. I'm sure all dinosaur digs just have this right. kid. Who is this kid? Like, did he win a prize? Or, like, what is this kid doing at this dig? Hilarious. Middle school child of one of the other diggers. Yeah. What do you call that kid? The kid who just, like, inserts himself with just this negative, you know, comment. That doesn't look very scary. Smartass. It's it. There it is. <laughs> More like a six-foot turkey. Well, Grant isn't able to let this go. Grant is apparently not only a doctor at the head of his field, but feels like he needs to tell said kid how things actually work. So he says, Try to imagine yourself in the Cretaceous period. You get your first look at this six-foot turkey as you enter a clearing. And he begins to describe the velociraptors and how they hunt and that they're pack hunters and they use attack patterns. And then he pulls out of his pocket a claw that is like three inches and says that he, this turkey is going to split you open in the middle of your gut and, and begin eating you right there. The point is, you are alive when they start to eat you. So, you know, try to show a little respect. So let's talk about Grant. <laughs> this was the only character you and I had uh, trouble locking down right. as a specific number. Right. But we think he's in the body triad. Yep. And so we're going with 891 to start. Uh, what do you see here from this character? Well, it's super interesting that he feels really, it feels it's really important to put this kid in his place. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what is that kid harming being a smart ass there? But like, like, he's like, let me tell you, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. That is stands out. It's very interesting to me. Um, it's There's also, like, there's clearly an element of control here. Like, you are not going to degrade the thing that I know the most about, and I'm going to make sure that you understand, A, that I know more than you, and B, that, like, this is a situation that is very dangerous. Love that. Establishing boundaries. Yep. Making sure that it's just known this is my space. Yep. And even if it's a little kid, he's yep. still going to establish his space. Doesn't matter who it is. Yep. Bang. Cuts away to him walking with Dr. Sadler. And we'll talk about Ellie Sadler, one Laura Dern, she says, You wanted to scare the kid, you could have pulled a gun on him, you know. Which essentially he did. He pulled out this, this right, yeah, raptor that six claw. Six inch claw. <laughs> Thing's huge. Grant says, Yeah, I know. Kids. You want to have one of those? Because apparently they are close enough to have children. I don't want that kid, but a breed of child Dr. Grant could be intriguing. I mean, what's so wrong with kids? And Grant, and here's more of the control going on. Oh, Ellie, look, they're noisy, they're messy, they're expensive. Cheap, cheap. They smell. They do not Some smell. Some of them smell. Oh, baby smell. Yeah, babies do smell. 
What? <laughs> is it, yeah, have you verified this recently? They they do smell sometimes. That's that's true. It gets worse. The bigger they get, the more the the smell, the larger the smell. In fact. Sure. Yeah. So she's this warm character, engaging him where he's at. He is he comes across as curmudgeonly sure. here at the outset. Yeah. But there's a romantic relationship. Right. What what do you see here with that? Uh, well, with Dr. Ellie Sadler, we had her mm-hmm. pegged as an Enneagram too. You wanna you wanna talk about her introduction? One of the things that we're gonna talk about over and over again with her as a character is that like like she seems like the token female. But also, she seems like the type of person who is trying to push him into a warmer space. Mm-hmm. Um, because he he clearly, like, I like the word curmudgeonly, but um, as as someone who has a reputation for not liking kids, I also recognize that it like it like some people just don't really like kids, and that's like like that doesn't make them bad people. <laughs> Like his, his complaints are not unreasonable complaints. They're noisy, they're messy, they're sticky, they're expensive. And if you like your space to be a particular way, then kids interfere with that. I understand mm. what he's saying. <laughs> uh, and she is trying to push him into a warmer space, into a, a more sort of open acceptance of the idea of what kids can be whereas he has the impression based on his experience of kids and and she thinks they can be more than that. So one of the things that twos will commonly do in solving problems is is spin it positive. Right. You gotta take a positive outlook about the the kids that we may have together. And right. the, I like the idea of of she is pushing him. Yeah. Um, and and trying to tap into his his warmer side because it has to be there somewhere. Yes. Well, and, talk about that with, with twos seeking to help in those ways. Mm-hmm. It's not just that I'm helping you in the way you want, but it's helping you in the way that I imagine she thinks is quite valuable. Right. And, and, um, as a relatively healthy person, it seems like she is a healthy being healthy and and i would say she's a healthy too she is trying to get him in touch with something that she does naturally Mm. and so helping him grow in that way yeah and by bringing herself to it and saying like like meet me in the middle here and you will actually like become better a question that came to me while while watching this is would would grant she be in a relationship if she were not a scientist also doing the things he was doing. Oh, I doubt it. That was one of the things that struck me in terms of his type. Is that a body type thing? Like we do work together and I w- I'm not in a relationship or is that a him thing? Um, no. Well, I, I, you and I are both body types. If, if our significant others weren't interested in the kind of work that we were doing, would we have the same kind of connection with them? Like that's like, I, I met my spouse because we worked together in a coffee shop and like we're passionate about similar things. Mm -hmm. And if we weren't, it would actually be really difficult for us to engage each other because so much of what, of who I am and how I view myself is about the things that I do. As I think about it, that sounds negative. Sure. 
you just base your relationships based on what you do. Mm-hmm. But I think this is really common for body types. This, right. this I, I find a lot of my value identity in uh, the things I accomplish or the pursuits that I have. And a lot of my relationships are, you know, revolve around that. Um, that obviously can have some negatives, but it can have some positives. I make real right. connections with people. We're on an adventure together. And um, I don't know. That was, that was just a side thought. Yeah. As, as all things, there's a health level to this. Yeah. Like if you cannot be engaged in relationships that exist outside of the work that you do because you only engage in what you do, if, if you are only what you do, that's unhealthy. But if you just recognize that like your closest relationships are going to be with people who engage in similar activities as you, who you can build things together with, I don't know that that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's just the reality of what body type of who body types are. So Cut to a helicopter landing on a dinosaur dig and oh, sand is going everywhere. Worst place for a helicopter. <laughs> what kind of jerk flies a helicopter to a dinosaur dig? The most important character in the movie. Like he owns the place or something. <laughs> Apparently he sneaks out of the helicopter, gets into their trailer, already knows where the alcohol is, pops a bottle. Yeah, cork is, wait, pops a bottle of champagne, opens the cork. Sure. How do you say yeah. that? Pops a bottle of champagne, that works. Yeah. Grant storms in, what the hell are you doing in here? And looks at the champagne bubbling over and says, Hey, we were saving that. But today, I guarantee it. And this is John Hammond, oh, Enneagram man. 7. Just right out the gate, that dude is a 7. Ugh. <laughs> oh. John Hammond immediately introduces himself, says, I'm delighted to finally meet you, Dr. Grant. I can see my $50,000 a year has been well spent. Right. <laughs> Ellie comes in, she complains, and Grant immediately transitions and says, this is our benefactor. Ellie apologizes, and Hammond starts, and this is so good, he just blows through all sorts of details about his life. I own an island. Off the coast of Costa Rica. Well, I've leased it from the government and I've spent the last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve. Really spectacular. Spared no expense. Make the one I've got down in Kenya look like a petting zoo. Apparently he likes collecting animals. And there's no doubt our attractions will drive kids out of their minds. No foreshadowing there. And Grant says, and what are... <laughs> this, this is a great understated joke. Have you heard this joke? He says, what are those? Small versions of adults, honey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great sarcasm. Beautiful. And not just kids, everyone. We're going to open next year. That is if the lawyers don't kill me first. I, I don't care for lawyers. There's a particular pebble in my shoe represents my investors. Says that they insist on outside opinions. What kind of opinions? Well, your kind not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, let's face it, in your particular field, you're the top minds. And if I could just persuade you to sign off on the park, even pen a, a wee testimonial, I could get back on schedule. Why would they care what we think? What kind of park is this? It's right up your alley. Talk about Ian Graham Sevens in this scene. Well, the um, there's a couple of things going on here that I think are... Stereotypes, obviously, because this is 
for a movie. So we need to make the character bigger than life. But also like we see this in ways that like they don't intend it to be, but like sevens can easily come in and trample everyone else and say, we're going on this adventure together and whatever Mm -hmm. you were doing, you're not doing that anymore. We're going to do my thing now. And it's going to be so much fun. They're often right. But, like, the way that he just jumps in and invites them into his story is is very Seven. Like, it's so interesting that, like, like he opens their champagne. He immediately says, I'm the guy who is making your life possible. But he's not trying to hold that over over their heads. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not bragging. It's just like, hey, I'm... I'm that guy just so you know who I am and it's okay that I'm here because I don't care what you think about whether or not I'm supposed to be here. I just need you like we need to move past that because I've got something for you. Do you like John Hammond in this first scene? In the very first scene? Yes. Cause he's inviting them on an adventure. Yeah. I'm getting swept up in this person's passion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm invited into something bigger than myself and and it's gonna i mean i suppose a lot of movies start this way it's you have a character whose whose world is shaken and suddenly they're moving and hammond is the instigating force here right but it's the sort of person that i want to go with and yet on second third fourth viewings of this movie he's entirely uh untrustworthy right the but you that like that's not clear from the first from the get-go and yes. I think that's part of the seven charm. Mm-hmm. Is it like they are going to convince you to their side? There it and is. <laughs> sometimes they're like, like they're, they're going to get you on their side because they are so charming. And that is yes. the only possible way that a person like John Hammond has gotten to where he is because yes. he is remarkably charming. Yes. I have all these lawyers that are, are coming at me, but but of course they're they're just pebble in my shoe. We're gonna move past them. Right. Well, that should be yep. a huge red flag, but we right. broke oh, okay, yeah, yep. I don't like lawyers, you know. But yep. <laughs> but here we go. So let's talk about the dynamics between Grant and this seven. You have yeah. Grant who is a character who's able to control his surroundings, he's doing work that he loves, but he clearly needs financial assistance. That's a huge deal for him actually moving. Right. And Hammond has an obstacle. He needs to get past the blood-sucking lawyers. Right. And he needs Grant. And so that relationship kind of clicks into place there. What do you see see between these two? Well, there's a a level of practicality there that, like, the seven is is using his charm to say, I will give you what you need. And and the, the, the body type is recognizing that... I have to do this thing and then I get my control. Yep. Like like if I if I go along with whatever he's asking me to do, then I gain the thing that I'm looking for. Yep. So. That was I does that uh, work across all the body type? It's there's some things you just you have to do, but the target is I want to be in control of my space. I, I would see that less. I, I would lean more towards eight or nine. 
with him in this scene because I, yeah. I, I don't think that a one is going to be as easy to sort of bend mm. their own morality in this way. Grant might be asking more clarifying questions, seeing if this is yeah the right play might not sell out so easily as it well, were. Well, there's there's some of this that like it seems a little bit like it's n- maybe not that much. Like Hammond doesn't seem exactly above board here. Charming, right? absolutely above board, uh, maybe not. <laughs> True. So that, that I, I like that. I think that's a good. Good. So we cut to a uh, a cafe in what a Latin American country, and we meet Dennis Nedry. Enneagram four. (laughs) We should talk about (laughs) Newman. I bet you. Okay, so I heard that the guy who was in Different Strokes, who played Willis, Uh gets that twenty times a day. Oh yeah, people see him and. Yeah, what you talking about, Willis? What you talking? And I bet you this guy just is bombarded. Yeah. By his, what's his name? Wayne, his name is Wayne Knight. Okay. Um, just get, gets bombarded by Hello Newman's. Yeah. When you don't, you, you haven't seen him in a ton of other stuff, so. No. I've act. you want to hear some fun stuff? Let me see if I wrote I this I know that down. he's done a lot of voice work. Yeah. He's he was the, in, go ahead. He's the, he's the bad guy in Toy Story 2. True. Yeah. He is also uh, voice work in Hercules. He's one of the characters in Hercules. I didn't write it down. Okay. Uh, he's in Space Jam. He's in JFK oh, yeah, for right. a bit. And I thought this was good for you. He is Lily's landlord in How I Met Your Mother. I don't know who Lily what? is, but apparently that's true. I believe you. I do not remember that at all. <laughs> oh, well. Unfortunately, Mr. Wayne Knight is yeah. just Newman wherever he goes from, yeah, from here to guy. eternity. Yeah. Um, well, and honestly, he could have been playing a Newman character in How I Met Your Mother. That could have been a tie-in. I don't remember. But he is the villain of this story. And we'll do our... We are going to do a deep dive into our favorite villains soon. Uh, so this is no knock on fours. Right. But the Enneagram four side of villainy mm-hmm. is going to come out in this character. Anything we're saying up front on Enneagram fours and Dennis Nedry? Uh, I don't think that this particular scene is a great portrayal of fourness. I think this is a yeah. good portrayal of someone that you're not going to like. That's I exactly think that's it. that's what this scene is. It's like this guy sucks, and you're not going to like him. Yeah, that's that's the uh-huh. whole point of this, and to establish that like this is going to be the antagonist, and here's how he's going to do it. Yep, greedy, so. doing something shady, uh, clearly self focused uh meeting up with some dodgy looking character whose name is dodgson 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 we've got dodgson here see nobody cares talking about embryos and whether they're going to survive and how they're supposed to transport them and he pulls out a can of barbasol which every middle schooler in the world decided was the best thing ever yep if i could have a hiding place that looked like that Oh my gosh, I wanted one of those stupid things so bad. I don't know that I even had worthwhile things to 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 hide at this point in time. Right, yeah. But <laughs> I wanted a can with a fake bottom and could actually spray real shaving cream. That would have been the best. Nedry tells Dotson of his plan to beat security. 
Oh, I've got an 18-minute window. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Uh, so apparently there's what? What is that? It's a corporate, you know. Corporate uh, espionage. Yeah. Waiter arrives, puts a check down. Nedry looks at him and he says, Don't get cheap on me, Dodson. That was Hammond's mistake. So John Hammond is just apparently quite a popular guy. Everybody is elevating this man and who he is. But this is establishing the conflict between Nedry and Hammond. There's yeah. apparently some some money issues here, which are going to get played out later. So um, It's also fascinating to me that Nedry clearly does not care about who he hurts. Okay. So yeah, like which that. is set up by him like he he tests out the barbasol can mm-hmm. and then he takes the shaving cream yep. and puts it on a piece of pie next to him. Mm-hmm. Like which that is that moment is like like he he's not just in it for himself. He clearly does not care about who gets hurt by his actions. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Does that play into fourness at all? Like, how would a four, how would that roll out of the heart of a four? Uh, I think moving into the sort of like the villainy space, it's that total self focus. It's a complete disregard for how your behaviors affects other people, and yeah. not just in the same kind of like, like feelings repressed, repressed kind of way, but like. Like it's so self-focused that everyone else disappears. Love it. We got the whole plot moving at this point. You have a villain who wants cash. You have Hammond who wants approval for his park. You have the, you know, the scientists who want to fund their dig. You have a lawyer who wants to defend his client's interest. And now we are going to meet the star of the movie in a helicopter. One dare you, sir. One Dr. Ian Malcolm. The star. Chaotician. Nonsense. Actually, the dinosaurs are the star, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> we got Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, who we typed as an Enneagram 3. Malcolm is in the helicopter, looks at the two scientists, says, So you two um, dig, up, dig up dinosaurs? And Grant clearly being kind of confrontational, says, Try to. Malcolm just starts <laughs> laughing and growling kind of back at and establishing, he understands that there's some uh, tension here. Oh, uh, it's just like, he, he's Jeff Goldblooming. He's <laughs> Jeff Goldblooming, is right. Yeah. You'll have to get used to Dr. Malcolm. He suffers from a deplorable excess of personality, especially for a mathematician. Apparently aggressive type. Malcolm yeah. says, Chaotician, chaotician, actually. John doesn't subscribe to chaos, particularly what it has to say about his little science project. And then he starts tickling the knee of a billionaire right. in, a, in, a, in his helicopter. Like, yeah. They're like flying to an island that this guy owns. Do you know, you wouldn't do Dr. That. Sattler, Dr. Grant, you've heard of, you've heard of chaos theory? <laughs> no. No, nonlinear equations? Strange attractors. And then he, of course, says, Dr. Sattler, I, I refuse to believe that you aren't familiar with the concept of attraction. Lush. Fun right. fact. Just hitting on this woman right there that he just met in front of everyone. Fun fact, Laura Dern yeah. and uh, Jeff Goldblum dated for a couple years after the filming of this movie. Oh, huh. Interesting. You want to talk about uh, Enneagram's Enneagram threes and Dr. Malcolm? Uh, well, um, 
clearly this guy is all personality. Uh, he's all ego up front. Oh, this is entirely Tony Stark if you put him yeah. in, in the yeah. Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that's missing is Robert Downey Jr. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, the self-confidence, the I'm the show, the, he, the scientific thinking. Um, and when we need to address problems, you know, Tony Stark will get in and invest and uh, address problems mentally in a, in a critical analytic way. Mm-hmm. And yet when the problem moves away, then it's, I'm going to step back with my full self. Cause I want attention. Right. And there's a, there's a level of, of intentional disconnect from not only the feeling space, but like, like, like people who are invested in chaos theory think that chaos is objective. Okay. Like that's, there's, there's, yeah. Like the like going with the idea of someone who is in that competent competency group of like Mm -hmm. this is how we solve Mm -hmm. problems is by being objective. Mm -hmm. So you combine the big personality with someone who thinks that they are automatically being objective. It's not that just that he thinks he's right; it's that he thinks he's objective, and that he's divorcing himself from the equation. Chaos is fair. There. Oh, that's good. But overlaps with he's selling chaos theory yeah. over and again. Let me tell you yeah. how great this is and how yeah. great I am because I'm I'm apparently one of the world leaders in this field. So if I can sell yep. the field and then my standing is elevated. Right. Um, and if it really has bearing on the physical world out there, how much more valuable am I? Right. Yep. The sunglasses. The leather it's all coat. presentation. Yep. The Jeff Goldblum face. <laughs> <laughs> they are flying to this island. The music, the John Williams music is swelling. And we are off on this adventure with our characters. Um, and you will know this. This is just my one of my favorite side notes of this movie is they're landing. Uh, Dr. Grant goes to put on his seatbelt because the, the helicopter is shaking all over. And all he can find are the two female ends. And he tries putting mm-hmm. them together. They don't work. But then he ties right. them in a knot. And you know why, uh-huh. TJ? Is it uh, because life uh, finds a way? Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful element to this movie that uh, for not foreshadowed, but there's a, but that's a, it's an image of a lot of what's going to go on in the movie. Yep. We are on a hilltop. We get into some Jeeps. We start traveling apparently toward uh, Disneyland and Gennaro, the lawyer says the full 50 mile of perimeter fence are in place, right? He's, he's worried. Right. Hammond Which, says, by the way, that's a huge fence. That's huge fence. Yeah. <laughs> 50 miles? Good right? night. Of <laughs> fencing. <laughs> I didn't think about that. That That's that electric thing that, that Tim's going to get shocked on later in the movie. Yeah. Yep. And so, the yep. well, they've spared no expense. Hammond says, And the concrete moats and the motion center tracking systems. Donald's dear boy, relax. Try and enjoy yourself. 
And Gennaro says this, and this is good. Let's get something straight, John. This is not a weekend excursion. This is a serious investigation of the stability of the island. Your investors, whom I represent, are deeply concerned. 48 hours from now, if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced. I'll shut you down, John. <laughs> In 48 hours, I'll be accepting your apology. I love this back and forth. Yeah, yep. Seven and a three. Yep. Anything Two you see Two very here? aggressive people who are trying to just, like, show that I am the one that's in charge of you, mm-hmm. and you were not in charge of me. Mm. Very interesting dynamic there. What I wanted to think through here is that Hammond, throughout this, is aggressively trying to establish the adventure and mm-hmm. make sure that it holds. Yep. We're going on the yep. adventure. I'm going to yep. make sure it happens. And, yep. and all of his energy is poured into that. Yeah. No matter what, you were going to have fun. Yes. Yeah. And Gennaro here is the, is the obstacle. Mm-hmm. But he is likewise aggressive. And it is both, as we said before, it's the image of, is this stable? Mm-hmm. What is the goal here? For Gennaro, because that's he's aggressively seeking something. He needs to make sure that that the investors are happy. He he needs oh, to make sure that there. the money is happy. Yeah, he, yeah. Th- those are the folks whose attention he really desires. Right. Yep. Is it the case that he needs to sell himself to everybody, or has he decided here are the important people and their opinion of me as a three, their opinion of me, the people with money is the opinion that I want. Yeah, he clearly doesn't care about anyone in that helicopter. The only people he cares about is the investors. Boom. And and because they're the money people, he thinks he's the one that's in charge in that moment. <laughs> there it is, true. Yeah. Uh, so cut to them stopping and overlooking the park. Ellie is looking at a leaf and she says, this shouldn't be here. She, by the way, is a, uh, what is a plant, uh, paleo, uh, she, she's a botanist from- botanist. Paleobotanist. That was what yeah. it was. Old, uh, old botan, old plants. That's that's what she studies. <laughs> that's the Latin there. Uh, Grant sees something, stands up, just love Sam Neill here. It's perfect. Taking off the glasses, shaking, like the startled look on his face, the pure surprise. That's like like a little bit of joy, a little bit of fear, like that. Sam Neill nailed it. He just Love that. sells the whole thing. Yep. Um, he turns her head, she drops the leaf, and then it's all the reveal. And here's yep. the first big CGI of, of the movie. Well, uh, shoot, this is the first big CGI, really. In cinema history, as it were, right. that yep. doing something to this scale. And Grant says, "It's, it's a dinosaur." Uh-huh. And you have the epic music, and you're watching the animal. Grant says, "This thing's got what a 25, 27 foot neck, Brachiosaurus 30." Which again, by the way, Jaws reference. When they see Jaws, mm-hmm. uh, R- Richard Dreyfuss says, "That's a 20." footer and robert shaw says 25 oh sure it's like when you reveal the animal we're yeah. going to talk about these these proportions and it's the same yeah. language anyway i thought that was interesting oh, by the way that was a that was a, a jeff cook trademark i was the one that, that caught that reference i didn't get i didn't <laughs> steal that from anyone nice <laughs> so, but all all the motives get played out in this scene yeah Gennaro says w- suddenly he shifts 
and yep. says, we're gonna make a fortune with this place. Yep. M- Malcolm says, you did. You crazy son of a bitch, you did. And I wanna yep. talk about that in a second. Um, and then Grant starts analyzing. How fast are they? Well, we clocked the T-Rex at 32 miles an hour. And Ellie gets real serious. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. And then Hammond, on the adventure, turns them to the side, and then you see a field filled with dinosaurs. And he says, because we're on the adventure now. Welcome. Jurassic Park. And Grant looks to the right and he sees the dinosaurs and he says, They're moving in herds. They do move in herds. And he starts crying because he got that one right. Right. Like I've I nailed that with my with my scholarship. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, tons going on here, which I want to hear. Let's uh, let's yep. just talk about Hammond for a second. Hammond yep. has been in the car. Now it's his, he gets to show you what's behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. It's pure excitement. It's 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 joy. It's uh, the reveal of a storyteller. Ooh. Like like he has he has he has yarned this tale. He's 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 led them along and like like really intentionally like not told them what's happening because in the very first scene somebody else would have said i built a place called jurassic park that's so true it's got dinosaurs in it and what he has done is like little hints like this is the place that's exactly right for you you dinosaur expert but he didn't say that even like he's just like like pulling them along into the into his story and then like they finally show up and he's like i did it look at what i've done so is that what is that about sevens because i know sevens who are masterful storytellers we've Mm -hmm. talked about this in the past yeah but that's entirely right he knows this is a story i'm going to take these people on an adventure and you can't spoil scene three in scene one right I think there's there's an element of, of of like the the entertainment aspect like they they love being entertaining because there's so much joy in entertainment like even mm. even horror films like like being able to bring people on an experience you share something with them and there's there's just like being like telling that kind of story is 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 fun it's 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 joy. It's 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 attention, and also um, like like stories can go anywhere. And then when the story's over, you can tell a new story. Yeah, and it's escape from reality. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's a good line. It's a good line. Uh, Gennaro, we're gonna make a fortune with this place. Yep. But it's not just about the money here. What is it about? It's it's it's. The guy who has talked about safety for the entire time, yep, like all of a sudden sees the real dinosaurs, and he's like, "Oh, this is gonna work." It's all about the image, yeah, because now he can see that this thing is as big as they've been saying, and so like this, like this was one of the moments that made me sort of realize he's a three because 
in this moment, he doesn't care about the fact that there's a T-Rex. He doesn't care about the Velociraptors, which haven't really been revealed yet. He doesn't mm-hmm. care about all of the safety problems that are that exist with having dinosaurs in the real world. He's like, oh, this is going to work because people are going to love this and we're going to make so much money just because the, the glitz worked. What I saw here was he is detached from Hammond the whole time. Yeah, he's he's actually the problem for Hammond, and they're the they're antagonists. When he sees the dinosaurs, he immediately begins to jockey for position and attach to Hammond. And I can it, there'll be a scene in the future where he's like, you know what, I'm really good at merchandising. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think he sees potential here. Yeah, the potential is for huge worldwide success yep and he wants to be a part of that yep absolutely hammond is telling a story and bringing people on an adventure he sees the opportunity for wild success yep and he blows right past all the safety concerns at that point yep because the potential's there yep doesn't matter none of that matters uh ellie yeah total caution and yet she's also supporting you know grant who's folded Uh over and Uh and losing his mind yeah. Anything we're saying here about Dr. Sadler? She seems like the only one who's really concerned. Yeah. Uh, like, she's like, wait a second, you have a T-Rex? So I was trying to put my thumb on that. Is there any two-ness going on there? Well, it's, it's um, I don't know. Like, like this is, this is again, part of the problem with her being the, the token female. Is that, like, like, she's the only one that seems like she is concerned about everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, a, another like really thin moment of that is like, wait a second, wait a second. T-Rexes are really dangerous and not in the, not in the six kind of way. Yeah. But like in the, like, like let's, let's take a moment to be concerned about the reality of this. I, that's, that's, I think there's something there. She is a exposition narrative, not device, but certainly a lot of the language to move the plot forward mm-hmm. occurs through her. But her posture here, I think, ends up being, I care about people. Yeah. And that yep. just comes out in potential dangers in a different way than a six. But it's still there. Right. Malcolm, you crazy son of a bitch, you did it. Yep. I don't know what to do with that line. I watched it a couple times. I'm just, don't, I don't know what to do with it. It's it's disconnection. Oh. It's, it's yeah, it's not... Um, so I initially thought he was a five because of this line, huh? because he is totally disconnected from it. It's 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 a moment of recognition that a Hammond is crazy, and b he actually did this thing. Uh-huh. Like there was a fair amount of disbelief before, but now he sees it for real, and he says, "Oh my God, you actually did it." There is no value judgment involved there. Yeah. It's entirely like, holy crap, it worked. Yeah. It's not excitement. It's not joy. It's not fear. It's disconnection. It's like, oh, you did it. Where eights seem to me want to embody strength, where mm-hmm. fours want to embody beauty, mm-hmm. it seems to me that threes want to embody excellence and this is an example of someone who's a three seeing excellence. Yep. Having a reaction to it. Yeah, that's yes. And yet he's going to get real critical. Yep. 
in the, in that move, I'm I'm real I'm real excited to talk about that move. Like where how how does that work for him? Because mm-hmm. he can he clearly appreciates the dinosaurs at this moment, right? And maybe never does again, <laughs> right? Right. He appreciates the fact of the dinosaurs, and the like the fact that this actually happened. Yes. Yeah. And and I don't even know that that appreciation is necessarily the right word. Like it's it's an acknowledgement of John Hammond's success. Yeah. I don't know that it's appreciation. It is acknowledgement. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I like that. And lastly is uh, Grant. They're moving in herds. They do yeah. move in herds. That's a real intentional mm-hmm. line that yep. they put there in his reaction. But body type, what you see there with eight and nines, I know what I see with ones. Sure. I don't know what I see with eight and nines there. Well, th- why don't you talk about what you see with ones first? Well, with ones, it's I was correct. Sure. I, I, I put in the work. I put forth the theories. And now they're proven. And I feel like I'm good at my job and my vocation and all the things that I've spent so many years doing. Mm-hmm. And there's like a justification there. Yeah. I I would argue something similar for both eight and nine, um, but more in, in I would go with, I was right rather than because, because I don't think that like, I think a one is looking more for, for validation of goodness than yeah. correctness. I think the eight and nine would, would, look at that scenario and like the eight would experience a moment of like, well, I was right. See, I was right. Yeah. Uh, And the nine would feel validated in their presence. Like, like I know when I see the things that I expect play out in the real world, it's like, look at that. I was right the whole time. Whereas I would expect a one to have more of a, a looking for a, a validation of, their their goodness yeah then their correctness does that make sense yeah i resonate with the when as you talk through the nines i resonate with that i don't resonate with the eights as much um sure. so i'm still on that nine one i've i've been on the nine one train here with this character from the beginning yeah. but i can see those two playing out um so since everything goes downhill from here uh-huh. This might be a good place for us to to put a pin in our first episode of the Jurassic Park. Sure. Yeah, I think that's actually that's a great idea because yep, it really does. Like this feels like the peak of of the movie. <laughs> you got all the all the all the John Williams music has been happy. We've yeah. we've 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 shown you all the beauties, and now yeah. we're gonna we're gonna go to that spot where we're gonna we're gonna blow up the, the the fences and let the monsters out yep <laughs> okay so uh so we'll continue this uh next week it would mean the world to us if you would pause take two seconds and write us a brief review and give us some stars you can always find us on instagram at around the circle podcast but as we say this every week but the best thing you can do seriously the best thing you can do is just share this with somebody that you love um that means the world to us uh, when when these get passed around. If, again, if you dig our pop culture deep dives, you can help us select upcoming series and hear more on our Patreon page. 
And again, we're going to start posting um, more of our side content there as well on the pop culture side. Uh, anything else from you, man? I got nothing. He's CJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you want isn't interesting. <laughs>